So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We've been looking at Engage. Let's see if y'all remember. Engage God in worship. We engage the lost in evangelism. Very good. Um, we connect around God's Word to grow spiritually deeper and in fellowship with one another. And so this is the last message on growth, which actually connect, grow. And looking at the book of Acts, background, Luke, a physician, he was also a companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke has a unique perspective. I like to call it, when we talk about Acts, I like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is very prevalent in the formation of the church, and it begins uh, after Jesus leaves. He said, there's going to be one to come and help you, and then you will grow uh, together. And that's really when you get to the New Testament churches. What, they're, what the New Testament church is about is trying to bring everybody under the umbrella of God's grace. Not only under the umbrella of God's grace, but trying to take barbarians, Greeks, Jews, and bring them all together under the same umbrella. And there were, there were problems in the New Testament churches, but Paul and others addressed those issues. Later, as we get into Peter and uh, later books, um, there was the formation. You can see all of this taking place. There was a formation of the church, elders, deacons, so forth. And so the church was being organized. But at the beginning here, when we look at the book of Acts, we see something very unique. And uh, it was written somewhere between 62 and 64 A.D., uh, probably written from Rome, and the purpose was the historical acts of the Spirit and to build up the body of Christ. So when you have the gospel, which is new, you have to have a sense of growth and purpose. And we see that, again, we see that unfolding in the book of Acts. The context is in Acts 2, 13, 1 through 13. It was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and they spoke in, in various tongues. Uh, charismatics interpret that as uh, they spoke in unknown tongues that were not recognizable. I don't agree with that. I believe it was a recognizable tongue. So it would carry the same weight as uh, I don't speak Spanish, but if the Holy Spirit back then came upon, I would be able to speak Spanish. And so anyway, that's the way I see it. Uh, Acts, Peter's sermon, one of the most uh, powerful sermons in the New Testament, if you go back and read it, 2.14 to 2.41. We pick up in 2.42. And the first thing that Luke writes here, basically, is we must grow together. And, and some of this... I preached this sermon, I've made some tweaks to it, but I preached it six or seven years ago. Um, look at the priorities. Look at the priorities of the early church. Now this is, as the formation is starting to take place, I, I think these priorities could be a paradigm for the way that we do ministry. And I think they should. 
Um, first of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first priority of the church as they assembled was the apostles' teaching. We would refer to that today as the scripture. And when you think about it, we are still reading the apostles' teachings. This is not some archaic book that is far removed from the life in which we live. These words are living and breathing, and so as we read them, we are reading what the apostles wrote, and therefore we are dedicating uh, this word devoted, proskartero, means to continue to do something with intense effort. Now let me ask us all a question. When was the last time you sat down, looked at the Bible, and did it with intense effort? It's good, I guess it's good to read a scripture every day, but these people understood that the apostles' teaching, the canon had not been formalized, there were some letters out there, but nothing formal. They had the Old Testament, uh, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were intense on this teaching. And so part of the issue for us is, are we devoting ourselves intently to the Scripture? How much time do you spend reading the Bible a day? Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't want to get into uh, <clears throat> chasing rabbits or anything, but you can see right up front, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think one way that we uh, can devote ourselves to the apostle teaching which we've kind of migrated from this, and we need to get back to it. Um, small groups. Years ago, I had started small groups, and small groups, actually, these believers were meeting in small groups, and they would come together around God's Word, and they would study it. They would talk about what are the implications of what, what, were, what, the, what Peter said, or what John said, or or, or what Jesus said. And, and there was dialogue within that small group. Because later we're going to read that they went basically from home to home. Um, I really think we need to get back to small groups. And we have one small group already. It's called Sunday School. And so when we talk about Sunday School, I've never liked that because it sounds uh, kiddish. I like Bible training or Bible study, something along those lines. Um, very important. I think it's very important that we get back to some type of small group other than Sunday school. And we'll see as this unfolds that it wasn't really taking place in the temple. It was taking place outside. I've got some other suggestions here too, um, but as we go on. now. The second word is fellowship. Koinonia. We've heard that word a lot, koinonia. And that basically refers to close mutual relations or involvement. I go back to the, to the pastor that uh, was doing a children's sermon where the children came up uh, and they were that. all assembled around him. And he asked, he asked the kids, do you know what the word fellowship is? And one little boy raised his hand and he said, yes. And he said, it's two fellows in a ship. 
<laughs> which really conveys a good idea. Because we're all in this boat together. Fellowship is so vital to the life of the church. In fact, we can't function properly the way God intended us to, to function if we do not have this quantania fellowship. Good to see so many here today. Really, you don't know what that does to my psyche. <laughs> fellowship is vital. And I think what's happened, not only here, but in churches around America, certainly not probably in third world countries, it's a little different issue. But what's happened here is, we come to church one hour a week, and we never see each other again. And so it's impossible to really understand each other and to get along with one another because we don't know each other. And so I think bringing this idea back around connecting for fellowship is, is very, very important. A third thing that Luke mentions here is the breaking of bread. Literally, <clears throat> the Greek means breaking in half. Now, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of thoughts on this. Some, well, I'll give you one of them right here. Kenneth Gangle, in his commentary, the believers joined in the breaking of bread, Luke's term for what Paul calls the Lord's Supper. Quite possibly, they practice it differently than many churches do now, likely with a full meal. Of course it was with a full meal. Now, whether the breaking of bread was symbolic of uh, having a fellowship meal, you have to understand the Jewish mindset when it comes to, to fellowship. Fellowship involved a meal. It was a big deal. You know what? We did this years ago, and I'm going to talk to Ruth about this and maybe the adult ministry team. I don't know if you all remember the, the concept Supper for Six. Supper for Six was a pretty good concept because it forced people to get together and it forced them to, not force, but uh, allowed them to, you gotta go, you gotta go. Force me to eat this stuff that I don't like. That's not what I mean. But it, it brought people together to where people were having a meal and why not just use this paradigm for this supper for, for six? Um, I think it's vital, and I'm going to talk a little bit more later about this, but uh, sufficient to say that they met outside the church. This, this, was, done, this was done in the homes. And so when they got together, it was a time of listening or re rehearsing or remembering what the, the apostles had taught. It, it was a time of sweet fellowship, and it was a time of breaking of bread. One of the best things about eating with people, I think, is, is the dialogue is conducive to growing together. There's something about sharing a meal. And I've had meals with all of you independently at times, various times. And those are actually really good moments. A fourth thing that was a priority for the church was prayer. And prayer just simply is speaking to God. What did the early church pray about? I guess probably one of the big things was for the apostles. 
Another thing was, Lord, help the gospel go outside and reach people in their communities. And uh, I'm just guessing, looking at the New Testament, that that's probably some of the things that, that they prayed about. They probably didn't pray about uh, stuff that sometimes we get caught on. I'm, I'm sure they prayed for the sick and the infirm and all those things. But we like going to God with a grocery list and saying, God, this is what I need. Rather than looking at the congregation, rather than looking at people, rather than developing that relationship, I, I think about it. If you only come to church once a week and you hear me ramble for 45 minutes and then you go home and you miss two Sundays, guess what? You've only got two hours a week, a month with God's people. It needs to be more than that. And I think, I think part of the issue for us in, in growing in fellowship would be to get back to some of those things that can actually cultivate a close-knit family. You, you can't win a Super Bowl if you've got one guy, it takes a whole team. You can't win the NBA championship if you've got one guy. I know people say you can, but you've got to have other players. Those guys will get double teamed at some point. So we have, to, we have to get this back to a sense of community, which I think is missing. Notice verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Of course it was. Because they were focused on the apostles, they were, uh, they were breaking bread, they had a sense of community, and they were praying. And God blessed it. God blessed it. Awe came upon Phobos, uh, which is the Greek word meaning profound respect for the deity, because they saw God moving. I don't know if you're familiar with the Asbury revival taking place down in Kentucky. It started with one young man standing, and by the way, this is mostly young people. So I am, and I agree with Brother Larry, our nation's in trouble, but this one man, this one young man stood up and announced these were the problems that he's having in his spiritual walk, and there's just been this long revival. And I'm very thankful that it's young people. People are now coming from all over the world to this revival. What would happen if we decided as a church to get serious with God? What would happen? How could God transform Tolono? How could God transform Sidoris, Ivesdale, uh, all of these places around us? If, if our church was to really get serious and pray and have fellowship and grow together. What could God do here? God that I worship can do abundant things, right? God's not limited. And so something for us to think about. Have we missed a blessing? That was one of the questions that I put here. And I know signs and wonders that was specific to the advancement of the gospel. But have we missed a blessing because Bible study, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, have we missed a blessing? I, I, I don't know. I do believe God blesses our church, but I wonder if there's more that God could do if we decided to come together. Uh, 
as believers. A second thing we want to note here is cooperation. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Altos, same or identical. All who believed were identical. Not that they all looked alike, but that they were all on the same sheet. I did some research this weekend. Uh, you don't see this too often. I mean, when you look at them, actually those babies look alike. I don't, he's looking up this way, but uh, two identical twins married two identical twins. And so when Luke uses this word identical, I am assuming it is in the sense of theology. It is in the sense of priority. It is in the sense of community that he uses this. So when we think about theology for a minute, everybody in this church should have the same view of the Trinity. Everybody in this church should have the same view of God as the Creator. The fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. The cross, the cross, we should all have the same view. Salvation is by grace, apart from works. That's what we believe. That's in, if you go on our, not our Facebook page, if you go on our website, you will see our statements of faith. One of the things that I'm going to talk about uh, with the new members and the new members class, for those that are curious, want, want to come and check it out, is we're going to talk about what we believe and that we hold to those beliefs. Things that are secondary, like the return of Christ, whether you're pre, post, or amillennial, doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm a premillennialist. That means I believe that the church is not going to go through any part of the, the Great Tribulation. I think it's raptured. But that's not something that we argue about. That's not the big one. We have to agree on the basics. The Bible is the Word of God. It has no errors, and it is perfect, written by men who were divinely inspired. We believe that salvation is only had through Christ and Him alone, that salvation is based on faith, not works, and that we as believers, the priesthood of believers, God gives us the right to interpret Scripture as we see fit, as long as it meets the basic priorities. I, I think of when they said they were all believed were together, they were identical, I believe that you could pull any member of that early church and ask them, how you get to heaven, and I believe they would have been able to tell you. Why? Because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the uh, breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayers. When you're spending time like that, when you're spending time like that with people, a lot of the stuff that we believe about each other kind of evaporates, and we go, you know what? He's all right. She's all right. They have the same ideas, the same way of looking at things. Common is the word koinos. That means to share with one another, literal Greek here, to share with one another financial or any other thing. Now let me say this. This church is really good at that. We have some very generous people in this church. And that is one area that... Uh, gives me cause for joy. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
as any had need. Whole Hill, in his commentary, writes this, the imperfect tense, common, indicating that it was recurrent, continuing practice. Their practice was to sell their property and goods. And if you look down here, the two main things were possessions in general and real estate. And a portion, the proceeds to whoever as needs arose. This is much more in keeping with the Old Testament ideal of community equality, of sharing with the needy so that there be no poor among you. So when we have brothers and sisters in our congregation that have a need, it is a, should be a priority of the congregation to meet those needs. And again, this church does it very well. A lot of people bring to me stuff, and then I go around and ask people if they would be willing to help. So we have a, we have a, good, a good church as far as the giving goes. And I know you guys love each other. We're basically a good church, but we can be better. We can do more. We can grow closer and closer together, and I think that's what... As we're reading this, that's what I'm getting from it. We need to be strong. And let me, let me tell you why we need to be strong. We need to be strong because, as Brother Larry prayed, our nation is a mess. And we have to be able to advance the gospel in a culture that is obviously in moral decline. And it's getting worse. And by the way, I did some research this week. Church attendance has dropped dramatically. Churches are having trouble getting people to church. I, I, I don't know. Part of it was probably COVID. They, they say, the IBSA says, 18% of those uh, who left the church are not coming back as the church opened. But if we're going to engage a culture, we have to be able to say, hey, John, pray for me. Tomorrow I get an opportunity to witness to so-and-so. And I think we need, we need to get better at that. We, we need to get better at growing together, focusing on how we can, as a body of Christ, come together and get to understand one another better so that we can more effectively reach a world that is growing more and more godless. I guess that's the best way I can say it. Yesterday I was watching uh, the XFL game and there was a commercial that came on and I was like, Whoa. I had to divert my eyes from that commercial. And that's what we're looking at. But we've got to stand up against that culture. That's what the early church did. Paganism was real in those days. Deified gods and goddesses. It's probably the same thing. It seems more to us like, wow, this is really bad, and it is. But as Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. We have to engage this culture, and the best way to engage the culture in which we live is by this group to be tight. You're only as, one pastor told me a long time ago, you're only as strong as your weakest link in the church. 
And so that's probably true. So we must grow together and the purpose, and I've been kind of hitting at this, the purpose is to impact our world. Here again, let's look at, when I say habits here, I mean good habits, not the bad habits. Not like me really wanting that Twinkie. Uh, that's probably not a good habit while I'm on my diet. I want it, like that Twinkie. Do y'all like the, the the yellow Twinkies with the cream filling? I yeah yep. Ron you Ron yeah he he likes it. Um, those are I guess every once in a while, that's okay. Um, and day by day, notice verse 46. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad hearts, with generous, I'm sorry, with glad and generous hearts. Day by day. They went to the temple. So three observations here. First of all, temple worship was a priority. And again, I think it goes back to the question, is church a priority? It should be. Uh, it's a habit, I think. The writer of Hebrews said, let's not forsake assembling ourselves as is the practice of some. So church should be a priority. Should, when the girls were growing up, church was not an option. We, and I realize people have sickness and those types of things, but th those should be exceptions, not the rule. So the only time I would allow the girls to miss church is if they were attending a youth event or they were attending somebody else's church. I know they probably didn't like it at the time, but thankfully, both of my girls are in church serving the Lord. Doesn't mean there weren't problems. But listen, I'm saying this with all the love that I can. If you want your kids to grow up and follow Christ, you have to make church a priority. Because your kids or your grandkids, well, it wasn't important to Papa. That's what we call them down south, Papa, Mama. My family's from West Virginia. I am not. I was born in Ohio, so. Just let the record straight. <clears throat> if your grandkids look at you and say, well, it's not important to Papa, it's not important to Mama, it's not important to Mom and Dad, it's not important to uh, Uncle so-and-so or Aunt so-and-so, when these kids grow up, they go, well, it wasn't important to them, it's not going to be important to me. So the way to rectify that is what I did when I... Uh, when, I mean, even before that, we would go to church. But I drew a line in the sand, and I said, unless I am sick, this was before I was a pastor, unless I am sick, we're going to be in church. But not like you're going to be in church. You explain to your kids and your grandkids the importance of being in church in fellowship with other believers. I could tell you some hilarious stories. I don't have time for that because I'm already at 25 minutes. But um, 
anyway, day by day, they attended the temple and breaking bread in their homes. Secondly, they spent time together outside of church. I mean, that's the easiest way to say it. They would get in their homes and they'd say, John, Phil, Sally, come on over to my house. We're going to fellowship. We're going we're gonna to read a Bible passage. We're, we're going to break bread together. We're going to focus on the fellowship, how we can grow together. And then we're going to pray so that we go out into the community. Now, if you add that into the equation, by the way, we do have a Wednesday night service. I know, I know the rumors say we don't have it anymore, but we do. There's 12 of us here every Wednesday night. So we have worship services on Wednesday. It's more relaxed. Uh, so now if you're going to Sunday, you're going to Wednesday, and you're meeting in a small group like every other week, now you're adding time. I'll tell you this. At lunch, when I go home for lunch, I watch one hour of news a day. That includes Saturday, but I have certain people I watch. That's six hours of my time that I spend watching simply because I want to know what's going on in our culture. That's six hours. That's just a one-hour period. Sometimes it's 45 minutes, depending on the show. But we need to start adding time to our day for God and for Christ. Then the church begins to mesh. We, we don't have problems here like we did years ago. All of us who have lived through that understood what I was talking about. But we could be better. We, we shouldn't say, okay, this is good, let's stay here. We should want to excel and grow closer and closer together. Newt, Newt Larson, a friend of mine, he pastored the chapel in Akron. He pastored the green while he was pastoring uh, the church. The church at the chapel was 18,000 members. Why he liked me, I have no idea. Got a hold of me, and Newt Larson just turned 82. Now, of course, this is an earlier version. Um, he just turned 82, and I remember in our preaching class, he looked at us. It was We'd go from 6 to 9 on nights a week for the preaching class. He stood up here at this pulpit and said, I flunked. I did not flunk the class. I know he said that back in the day. I made an egg in that class. I'm not messing around with it. <laughs> but anyway, in class, he walked in and he said, okay, everybody shut your books. He said, now let's go down the hall. And we went down the hall. Class supposed to be three hours. I think it was from six to nine. And there were, there were pizza boxes all over the place. Of course, now chapel's massive. One of their rooms would be the size of our sanctuary. I mean, it was just massive, massive church. And he sat down and he said, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about preaching. Everybody has some pizza. There's drinks over there. We got up. And I remember, if I'm remembering it right, it was years ago, but we sat around and we talked for preaching after the class had ended. One guy would say, you know, Pastor Newt would throw a question out there and we would just devour it. And that was 
out of all the classes that I've ever taken, I keep coming back to that. And the one common uh, thing about that class was that we had food and we had fellowship and we were talking about the Bible and we were talking about preaching. It was the most, it was the best. I told him since then, Newt, Newt and I talk every two weeks, once a week, something. I told him that's a, that was one of the most important classes because you know why? I got to understand where everybody in the class was in relation to preaching. And actually, sucked up some of the stuff that these guys were saying. That would not have happened if we'd have been taking lecture notes in the classroom. We were like shocked. What's this? He said, just sit down. We're going to ask a few questions, let you guys talk about preaching. And it was a, that stuck with me. It, that was, well, I don't want to date myself, but that was a long time ago. Um, it still resonates with me. I think there, there is something. There is something about this is a small group meeting in a home, and they're sharing a meal. What happens when you share a meal with others is you laugh, you joke around. I don't know what this is. I'll try it. Uh, you know, you, you, you joke around. This was the New Testament church. This was the New Testament church. Bible, breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer. Those were the priorities. And from that, the church got stronger because they were growing together. And they lived in a pagan culture. There's no doubt. They, were, they had gods for everything. And it's very, very telling that these people, day by day, went to the temple, breaking bread in their homes. They received. Notice what happens here. They received. And this is the third observation. Not only did, was temple worship a priority, they spent time together outside the church, but there was a spirit of joyfulness. A spirit of joyfulness. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Glad is the word extremely joyful. Of course, I just think, I think we have a lot to learn from this about sharing meals together. Um, and with generous hearts, really basically humility with the simplicity of life. So easy. So easy. To I am, face chat, to Instagram, and what this has really done, there's a lot of benefits to this, but what this has really done in the grand scheme is we have lost the sense of community. Again, technology and moderation is good. There's a lot of things you can find on this, but when this becomes our life and we, we distance ourselves from people, it's hard to grow in the spiritual walk when you are not connected to people. Iron sharpens iron. And they knew this. 
They, this is a great paradigm, by, by the way. Paul gives his seminary list. We went through that a couple weeks ago. But this is a paradigm for how you do ministry. You say, well, we live in a different culture. Yes, we do, but the Bible's still relevant in our culture. And we can still learn from it. They did this with humility. and You need to know that people in the church will have your back. And, and, and not just standing up for, but praying for. I love it when Ruth sends out these prayer requests. It, it, please look at those. There's, there's people that need prayer. And I know you guys and gals are good at this. But anyway, let's make sure we're growing together so that we can impact our world. Again, teams don't win championships with one player. Unless that player's name is Michael Jordan, probably. Even then, Michael Jordan will tell you it was a team effort while he's scoring 75 points in one game. But he does that because he has teammates who are doing blocks and rolls and picks. He does that because they open a lane for him. I still think Michael Jordan was one of the best. Um, but anyway, personal thought. To impact our world and influence the world. Listen to this. Praising God and having favor with all people. Yeah. They were praising God because God was doing things in their midst. And as they did things in the midst, people in the community that they lived, they go, wow, something's going on there. So if we want to impact our community, we got to grow together we got to get out there and we got to tell the world about Jesus Christ. We have the solution to the world's problem. You know that. The solution is not, the, the problem is not that they're sinful, although it is. That's not the root cause. The reason that they're sinful is because they do not have Christ. And they haven't seen the transformation of the Holy Spirit take place in their heart. Again, Kenneth Gangle gives a really good astute observation, I think, praising God and having favor with all people. It doesn't mean we're always going to have favor with people. There's some people, one guy told me one time to shut up. I can, I can live with that. I'm not going to push this on it. It's okay to have unsaved friends. This church was obviously growing because it said it added to their number daily those who were being saved. When was the last time somebody came forward in, this, in, the, in our church service to receive Christ? It's a good question. I thought about that this week when I read, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I just thought about it. I think it's been a while. Right? Let's pray. Let's pray this week that we can lead people to Christ. It's really important. They were growing not only spiritually, but obviously numerically. 
Kenneth Gangle writes this, their witness included a demonstration of hospitality. They were meeting in the homes. I wonder if they invited people to those meetings. No home would be large enough to house even a small group of believers for a short time. So they literally went house to house. Luke wants us to see how good it was, and I agree with that. They enjoyed favor with people, not the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin had their own issues, but common folks all around the city. Look at your, your area and ask the question, how can I reach these people? How can I show them the love of Christ? Look at this. Praising God, having favor with all people, and of course because they were doing the prayers they were doing the Bible reading studies. They were doing fellowship and the breaking of bread. God said, you know what? I'm going to touch this, and it's going to grow. I love that young man's story. He stood up, and he said, these are my sins. And all of a sudden, a major revival breaks out. Kind of listened to it a little bit. and not see anything particularly wrong with it. And I praise God that the young people are doing it because we think the young people in our country have gone by the way of the world. I, we need to pray for this. Pray that it spreads out beyond Kentucky and around. So as I close this, let's take steps as a congregation to guard the unity of the church. It's so important, so important. All it takes is one weed to infiltrate, and it can spread. Make church a priority, not as your pastor, but telling you this, but make church a priority not only for yourself, but for your kids and your grandkids. Make it a priority. I know, go to church, and sometimes you go, I don't like the sermon, I don't like the music. I, I, I get it. I get it. But if you make it a priority and God sees that you're making it a priority, he will bless you. Years ago, I was preaching a revival for my friend, and I mean, I had a mustache and hair back then. And I, and I preached, I was preaching a revival. One lady, you know, you have some of those moments just stick out, others. One lady met me at the back door and she said, I don't like my pastor's preaching. I like your preaching. And I was younger, um, but he was a friend of mine. And I go, let me ask you a question. We stood at the door. I said, when was the last time, if you don't think your pastor's preaching is, is good, when was the last time that you prayed for your pastor to preach a good sermon. She didn't have an answer. And I said, what I would encourage you to do is this week, I want you to pray for your pastor so that he can preach a good sermon that you feel will touch your heart. And I, I did that. It was a, uh, that was back in the day, folks. I mean, that was back in the day when 
we had revival services starting on Monday and it went all the way through Sunday every every night. We had good crowds, people were coming forward, and then this one lady out of nowhere, I don't like my pastor's preaching. And I just said, pray for him. And by doing that, I directed her to the one place where God could begin to move on that pastor and her heart. And I don't know what happened. I told her that, you know, obviously I didn't go back to my friend's church, but he asked me to preach it, and I preached. Back then I was really wiry, and I was really wiry. Maybe she liked that. I don't, I don't know. But um, So if you come to church week after week and you don't like the sermons, pray for me. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> if you don't like it, pray for me. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. The kids say, I'm down with that. But also while you're praying that, also pray that God would change your heart. So it is closing. Oh, it's up there. It's closed. Let's, let's work on that. You want to? Let's, let's just see what God will do. Let's just see what he'll do. I believe God can still do things. I mean, we're pretty full here today. It'd be nice to come back next week and everything's full. And then spill over to two services, and that'd be great. It'd be awesome. Anyway. 